Picture yourself a hundred million years ago. My name is Erg. And I have situated myself behind this rock because I am on watch. And wait, there, in the far distance, maybe 500 meters away, across the African veldt, I can just make out there, where the waving grain isn't quite waving the way it's supposed to, there, a tip of orange, is it fur? Wait, or is it the piece of an antler? Wait, and I sound the call. Is it a call for the hunt? Is it a call to run in fear? Is it a call to freeze motionless? The reason that we are here tonight is that at the dawn of time, God gave us an immense ability to process information. Truly a gift of discernment. Now, if you take any one of our senses, our eyesights, there are birds with much better eyesight than we have. Auditory processing, other animals can hear much better. Even my dogs at home do a better job of smell than I do, right? <laughs> But you know what? When you put the whole package together, we are an amazing species. And then behind that all, the immense processing power of our brain allow us from the smallest little glimmer on that horizon to sense whether it's danger or it's time to hunt, whether it's an opposing tribe or whether it's our friends coming back from a long vacation. This sensory apparatus that we have, this processing brain that we have, is what allows us to be here tonight. Without it, I'm sure that our species would have faded into oblivion. And you know what? I think what's, one thing that's really interesting is our processing power is still here. Our ability to, to use uh, 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 the discernment of our senses uh, backed up by processing power is just as strong today as it ever was. Now, it may not necessarily be that we have to flee the scene, right, when we see that, um, that tiny little thing on the horizon poke its way up. But I want to give you a couple modern ideas of how we use this true gift of discernment. Are any of you here wine connoisseurs? Have you ever tasted a wine and distinctly remember selling fruit or perhaps five-spice powder? I'm reading from a little article here on how to develop your wine palate. And uh, it has uh, six steps to it. I'll run them through them really quick. First of all, it says, take it slow. Look and smell before you taste. Visualize and isolate flavors. Identify flavors one by one by one. 
pay attention to the texture and the body, and build a wine memory. And I want to just, I mean, I know some of you, some of you are probably in 12-step programs like I am, and are wondering, why the heck is he going on about wine tonight? <laughs> but, uh, but let me read a little bit more on, on step three. Visualize and isolate. Sitting with your nose hover, hovering over a glass and eyes closed, start identifying the flavors of wine. Roses, cherries, a clay pot, cloves. The rose smell is less pronounced than the red cherry smell, and when I close my eyes, I imagine that the roses and the cherries are in a terracotta clay pot that's been rubbed with baking spices. Now, is this crazy? <laughs> Actually not. What they're describing here is how a true wine connoisseur, someone who has really trained their palate, their, their nose and their sense of taste, and when they can, they can rate a wine on all of these various criteria, aroma, taste, acidity, structure, texture, color, expressiveness, and balance. And on each one of those characteristics, sometimes there are as many as 26 variables. Now multiply that out, and you're describing that dot on the horizon that's orange, and you're wondering if it's a friend or foe. Do you know what I mean? The immense processing power and the use of our senses that have been put into someone who is a wine connoisseur. Now, is it a life or death matter anymore? Well, actually, maybe if you're a wine connoisseur, it might be. But I think what is staggering is that we're using this same power, this same sensibility today that we did 100 million years ago. Let me give you one more example here. Any color theory people in the room, any, any artists or people that work with color a lot? Okay, a fair number of them. You probably know this. The human eye can discern over 7 million separate colors. And they probably all have names, too. If you've been to the Miller Paint Store, you probably know what I'm talking about. But what is interesting about this, I think, is that for each of the colors and the infinite varieties of in-between, people have actually mapped out the emotional states that go with them. And so, for instance, certain flavors of red invoke passion, love, anger. Certain aspects of orange represent energy and happiness and vitality. Yellow can represent happiness, but it can also represent deceit, just depending upon the tonality and the brightness of it. Blue is often calm and responsible. Purple is creativity, royalty, and wealth. And you might think, well, how do they figure all this out, right? How do they understand the emotions that go with colors? Thousands and thousands and thousands of hours of testing. And what they also discovered around color is that a lot of it is cultural. For instance, in the same way that uh, a woman might wear a black dress here in America, and you would instantly kind of go, oh, there's probably a memorial. Just because of the darkness of the fabric, and maybe there was a veil or something like that, you would almost instantly say, this person is in mourning. In China, it's bright yellow. So not only do each of these colors and their intensity and their hue signal our brain certain processing issues, but also, there's even a cultural bias to it. In different parts of the world, we would see those same colors in a different way. They would bring up something else into our mind. The ability for positioning colors to sell things, to make your home feel inviting, to uh, everything from branding and products to working out colors that make you look great, 
All of this, all of this using that tremendous power of discernment that you and I, what, largely are unaware of. Largely unaware of. So you might ask, well, what do we do with our powers of discernment? What does the average modern person do with their powers of discernment? And uh, you know me, I have a little joke. So I was walking across the bridge one day, and I saw a man standing on the edge, about to jump off. I ran over. Stop, don't do it, I cried. He said, why shouldn't I? Well, there's so much to live for. And he said, like what? And I said, well, uh, are you religious or atheist? (laughs) Religious. Well, me too. Are you a Christian or a Buddhist? He said, Christian. And I said, me too. Are you Catholic or Protestant? Oh, Protestant, he said. Me too. Are you Episcopalian or a Baptist? He said, well, a Baptist, now that you mention it. Me too. Now, are you a Northern Baptist or a Southern Baptist? And he said, well, a Northern Baptist. And I said, what a coincidence. Are you the original Northern Baptist or a Reformed Northern Baptist? And he said, can this coincidence just keep going on? I can't believe it. I'm a Reformed Northern Baptist. And he said, is it Reformed Northern Baptist of the Missouri Synod or the Reformed Northern Baptist of the Wisconsin Synod? And he said, the Reformed Northern Baptist of the Missouri Synod. And I said, me too. What a small world. Now, are you Reformed Northern Baptist Missouri Synod, the Reformation of 1879, or the Reformed Northern Baptist Missouri Synod Reformation of 1915? And he said, the Reformed Northern Baptist Missouri Synod Reformation of 1915. And I said, die, heretic, die, and I I shoved him off the bridge. And do you know why I did? Because that's how we use the power of discrimination in today's world. We have done a little number to this amazing processing we power that we have, and we have typically gone right from discernment over the line into what? Judgment. And so I want to talk about judgment today, because even as we are... um, really celebrating this gift that God has given us, our ability to to make snap decisions based on the smallest amount of information, our ability to to teach ourselves to to identify seven million different colors and and all of the things that go with it. And, And really, the modern examples of ways we put this to good use are legend. And in fact, I'll tell you a personal one in a little bit. But with all of that, so often what we hear are discernments that sound like gossip. We're, we're in the break room and we hear people saying like, well, well she's fat and, and he's ugly and, and this worker is never going to amount to anything, right? We hear our discernments played out as though it's tabloid news, Right? We, we talk about one another as though in order for us to feel good about ourselves, someone else has to be lesser than. We talk about people being stupid or useless. And when we talk about places, we talk about bad service. And, and, and pretty categorically, right, don't we have a little bit of a value of it? If someone isn't quite up to snuff, they're not a worthwhile person. 
if a, a, a department store doesn't have like everything laid out perfectly for us, then don't we just tend to avoid it altogether? We've passed judgment on it. Well, I want to give you an example from my life that I, hopefully will mean something to you on a personal level. Actually, I have a couple examples in mind, but we'll start out with one. So many of you uh, may know that I was a, a theater major at University of Oregon, and some of you are probably going, oh, well, that's why, you know, he likes talking in front. Actually, I was never on the stage at University of Oregon. I did lights and sound and, and set dressings, and, and it was a lot of fun. And what was interesting about it is they really told you, for instance, in terms of lighting, they really told you how to do it correctly. And so, for instance, I remember we spent uh, two whole classes just standing around on stage so that we could literally feel the sweet spots of the heat from the lamps on our faces so that literally, even with our eyes closed, we would know, okay, here's one, we would know exactly where our marks would be simply by the feeling of the light on our faces. And we could always spot, if we went to the theater, some, some other theater, well, like coming into here, we could always spot lights that were a little bit of out of adjustment or ones that needed to have, uh, like a new gel, one of the, the little colorings that, that give some of the spotlights their, their nice color. They actually burn through after a time, and, and so they need to be replaced. And within a few seconds, um, uh, my colleagues and I that were, that were in my class, I remember learning how you could almost immediately go, well, that one needs to be replaced. That one's got about three more weeks in it. And, and our heightened, really our, our heightened ability, our discernment around lighting and the, also the color of backdrops and things like that were nothing short of amazing. And I remember for a, a, a field trip, we all came up to Portland. I was in University of Oregon in Eugene, and we all came up to Portland to go to a Bat Midler concert. And it wasn't to hear Bat Midler, although that was great fun back then, and we did have fun. We were there actually to go behind the, the set as the touring company set up the lights and the stage and all of that kind of stuff. And, uh, and, and so, you know, we actually helped set up the rigging and do all of that stuff, and then we saw Bette Midler. And uh, I got to tell you, I was a little disappointed. That woman could not hit her marks. <laughs> it's like the harlots that were with her, they were inevitably in exactly the right positions, and the, the spotlights were directly on them, and it didn't matter whether it was coming from a blackout or, or, or full space, they were instantly and always in those sweet spots of the lights, and they looked gorgeous. And the divine Miss M, oh my gosh, she was bouncing all over the stage. She never hit her marks. And that concert was awful. I mean, she, I remember her singing The Rose in relative darkness. I mean, can you believe it? It's a Bette Midler concert. She's singing one of her signature tunes, and like the spotlight's here. And she's here. It was horrible. And you know what? I was the only person that thought that. Do you see what my powers of discernment did? It was a fabulous concert. There was about the five of us that could do nothing but find the faults in the lighting and in the scenery and, and her hitting her marks and things like that. And the other 3,483 people thought it was the best concert they had ever gone to. 
Do you see how our judgments, even our discernments, when they're intended to be good and useful, what do they do? They can diminish our happiness. Now, what do you think the antidote for this is? Part of it's as easy as pie. Part of it's the tiniest little shift. Maybe it's the shift from here to I can't even get close enough on the inside of my head here. But I think it's the difference between right and wrong and recognizing flavors. Back to our idea of seven million colors. Are any of them bad? Should any of them be banned? (laughs) Right? Is there that one shade of orange that's just too much? Should never be used. (laughs) A couple of you are nodding. All right, fair enough. (laughs) Well, I think that's where we've gone astray. In the world of human affairs, we've tried to do our discernment so that we can make choices, and inevitably the choices are a good one, and so therefore the other ones must be what? The bad ones. What if we started looking at the world as just different hues, different bouquets in the wine? Why does there have to be a right way and a wrong way to load the dishwasher? Right? (laughs) My friend Lynn Johnson is up visiting, and I remember Lynn, (laughs) the first time you came up to visit with us, she loaded the dishwasher, and I'm, you know, it's like, what the heck are you doing? (laughs) And I realized, oh my gosh, Larry, you're going to judge someone based on how they load the dishwasher? And yet, don't we do things like that all the time? There's a right way to do it. There's a wrong way to do it. Well, I am here to testify that there's no wrong way to load a dishwasher. It's like, what a blessing she was loading the dishwasher. Do you know what I mean? How often do we miss the pure beauty and joy and fun and usefulness of life because there's something in our own mind that just seems the slightest bit off color, that seems the slightest bit not the way I would do it, that seems the slightest bit counterintuitive. All of those are just flavors. They're not wrong any more than the way you do things are wrong. And so I would like to suggest that we begin making that little shift tonight. I would like to suggest that from this day forward, when we find something that's a little abrasive, a little unexpected, a little different than what we had anticipated, a little bit contrary to the way we would do things, that perhaps instead of figuring out through our powers of discernment exactly how bad it is, instead of using our our infinite variety of our mind and and, and through our senses to, to figure out the 97 things that are wrong with something, that we use them instead to catalog the good. At any given point in time, my theory is that there's probably 1% of the things going on in your world that you don't want to be there. And what do you think it is that you spend 99% of your time thinking about? (laughs) Right? Right? So tonight I'd like to extract a a minor promise from you all. And in fact, you you know I'm often one to sign, uh, sign homework. And so your homework this week is, I think, simple, but it might be taxing. So the simplicity of it is, 
I want you to take something in your life that someone else does differently that bugs you. Okay? So it might be something as simple as loading the dishwasher or, or not picking up their clothes or it might be, you know, the war that you had over picking the color for the outside of your house or it might be, I don't know, all the little things that your mom or your dad told you were the right thing to do things and then you come out in the world and you find that people are doing them a million other contrary ways. I'd like you to pick one of those things in your own life, and I want you to think of it instead as like ice cream. I want you to recognize that people have the right to their own opinions. That other people's discernments are just as valid as yours. Even if they fly in the face of some of the things that you were told as a child, even if they fly in the face of what you just know in your heart of hearts has got to be the right way of doing it. It's got to be the proper thing to do. I would like this to be an exercise this week in acceptance. In simply allowing the variety of life all of its flavors, all of its colors, all of its sensual data to be okay to be different. Sometimes it will look rude to you. Sometimes your coworkers are just outright rude, aren't they? And you know what? They have the right to be rude. Doesn't mean they're bad people. Life is messy sometimes. So what? It has a right to be messy. If it bugs you enough, you can clean it up. Acceptance is one of the most powerful things that we have on this planet. I'd like to do a quick reading from Ernest Holmes. This is from the Science of Mind textbook. He says, The mind which condemns understands not the truth of being, and the heart which would shut the door of its bosom to one who is different strangles its own life. It closes its eyes to the greater vision. The biggest life is the life which includes the most variety. Let us pray. There is one power, one presence, one goodness, one consciousness. There is really but one thing on this entire universe, and that is God. The God that created this universe, the God that created all. It created Erg 100 million years ago. It created that of our ability to intuit, to, to use our senses to such a fine degree to notice the differences. And it's also that God that created the ability to find pleasure in those differences. And tonight I know that means me. I know that I open my heart to experiences of all kinds, to all the ways of doing things, to all of the colors and flavors and ways of being. My heart is open to receive the infinite variety of life. And as it is true for me, I know without question it's true for each person in this room. Each person here has that ability to develop their discernment 
to bring safety, pleasure, joy, success into their lives, to, to use the abilities of our infinite minds and our complex senses to, to really hone in on the amazing granularity and purposefulness on this planet. And at the same time, a willingness perhaps to forego judgment, to leave behind gossip and unfair comparisons. More than anything, I accept on the behalf of the people in this room a willingness to see that what's before us is invariably good. To maybe choose to ignore that 1% of things that, that don't look the way you'd like them to look. And instead, notice the 99% that is sweet, that is lively, that is love, that is healthful, that is clear, that is joyous. I'm grateful for this. I'm grateful for the power and the presence of God showing up as the capabilities of our senses, of, as our discernment, but also grateful for that wisdom, that intellect, to know when enough is enough, to be content with the goodness that is here in this very room tonight. And so in gratitude, I release this prayer. I release it into the activity and action of the law, that law that says yes and yes and yes. I let it be. And together we say, and so it is. So glad you're here tonight. Thank you for being here.